This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in Listenland, welcome back to episode 27 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We apologize we weren't here last week for you, but we're back this week. Me and Steve took the week off to kind of do some planning and, you know, see if we can get a good hit list of fantastic guests to get on the show coming up. And I can tell you we've got a fantastic list that we put together, have we not, Steve? Yeah, Tucker, it was great meeting you last week for coffee and really putting our heads together and looking at our combined sphere of people that we could get on the show. And I think we've put together a good solid, you know, seven, eight plus names of people that we're going to have coming on to the show as guests here in the coming few weeks. And I'm excited. Yeah. And we've got one of those guests here today, but I'm going to hold his intro for just a couple minutes while we kind of give a little rundown on what's going on with us. But what's been going on with you over the past couple of weeks in your business? Well, it's been crazy busy <laughs> on both fronts, but let's chat about it. So on the uh, broker side of things, I've kind of had the tale of two listings this last week. One is more of what people expect. I took a listing live in Southeast Portland. It's exactly what you always reference, and I love the reference, Tucker, as it's in the battle axe price point. We <laughs> priced it at 250 and we kind of knew going in that it was a little low on price, but we also knew that the market would help us correct the pricing. Little did we know how much. <laughs> what, what neighborhood was it in, just out of curiosity? Southeast, it's in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> what 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 pocket? I guess because uh, two fifty still cheap. I mean, I don't care if it's it's crappy Southeast. That's still cheap. For, if it's got it's a house on Henderson, what's our uh, what's our cross street? Let's see, we're at seventy six oh seven Henderson. Okay, so I've actually done a project at fifty eighth and Henderson, and that was probably four years ago now, and it was it was god awful there four years ago, and it's actually, I, we just sold one a few months ago on 58th and Nap, which is one block up from that, and it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, this one's, this one's not so good. <laughs> the area's rough, so rough that we opted to not do an open house. We did not want, we did not want just random people off the streets coming in to an open house. So regardless, the success of this going live was, I would say, hands down, one of the most active most offers and highest over asking price that we've ever had. We got 10 offers and we're pending 85000 over asking price. That's so, insane. Did you say you were going to hold offers for a month to review them all? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. We figured, we figured once we got the 100th offer, we'd be like at a million dollars because they just keep going up, right? I mean, yeah. as, as everyone has to be higher than the next. So uh, there's never an end to that. No, all kidding aside. So that was kind of, again, the tale of two listings. That was a little bit more of what we expect in this market. We know it's hot out there. That was definitely the reaction with that one. Another listing we took live on Friday, however, Great House, Northwest Portland, a little bit higher price point. It's about 600000 Went live. Had a, we did have a successful open house, to be sure, but there's been low activity since, no offers, and I guess it's just a good reminder. And the seller's a little bit panicky. And I guess that's kind of my point in this is not every listing catches fire. And just because the market's on fire does not mean every house is going to be on fire. Even if it's a good house and even if it's priced right, 
that's not a realistic expectation. I mean, as we look at the data, average days on the market is still, you know, a couple months or, or less or close to that. So clearly not every house is going pending on day one. And and so as as a broker, it's our job to manage those expectations and to be prepared when that happens to calm the uh Calm the seller down and just, you know, remind them that that's not always going to be the response we get out there. So that was kind of interesting. On the brokerage side, we had our team event last week that was well attended. We had well over 200 people, had an excellent panel, very, very exciting. We had a lot of non-PPG people there as well as PPG people. So that was really cool. As we had talked about that a few times, that was at the Home Builders Association. The other thing that's going on on the brokerage side, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on, but we are just growing like crazy. Not too long ago, we hit the 500 broker milestone, and we're now at 550. We have so many people joining our company that we're actually hiring another position. We have a position in our company. It's actually been a, a very, very successful part of our growth. The position is called the broker concierge. And what they do, this is this person's full-time job, this is all they do, is onboard new brokers. So when we have a new broker that wants to join our company, we put them in touch with them. We have a checklist that they follow. I'm holding it here in my hand. And it's everything. And the checklist is a living, breathing document. So if we think of something else that we need to add to that checklist, by all means, we add it if we need to tweak something. But it's everything imaginable that you could think of that you need to have done when you join our company. Everything from docu-signing the contract to the broker, transferring listings in the MLS, adding printers to their computer, getting them hooked up on Wi-Fi, making sure their printer works, adding the smartphones, getting them access to the building and keys. There's a whole list here. And so what the concierge does is they, they sit with the broker in the office They go through the list. They actually will do this stuff for them. They will say, okay, what kind of computer do you have? Do you have a Mac? Do you have a PC? They'll set up their computer and do all this stuff for them. Oftentimes, it takes a two, three, four-hour process, depending on the broker and how many listings they have to move over and so on and so forth. So it's a really cool position because so many brokers who are looking to make a move to a new company, that's one of their biggest fears is the chaos and the, the change. And so we've really embraced that and created this position. And we're growing so much that we need two of those people. So we are actively interviewing and, and looking to get somebody there. So that's what's going on with me, Tucker. How about your week? Things are, things are good, man, on my end. We've got a lot going on. I think we're, we don't usually pre-sell anything, as you know. We don't do any custom work. It's all spec, and we do all the design work, and then we put them up for sale. We've got two projects in Lake Oswego right now, both of which are framed. One is uh, right around the corner from last year's Street of Dreams that we've talked about before. Another one is on Lake Grove Avenue, which is uh, right around where I live, and it's a great little pocket there that's been improving dramatically. And I think we're going to list both of those this coming week. And so they're both new construction projects. I'm sure they'll both fly, but I've been just looking around the market. And like you said, not every listing catches fire, but I can tell you what, new construction and A-plus areas on A-plus lots, those ones catch fire too. So we're going to put those up here in the coming days and see how the market does with them. I'm sure they'll go pretty quick. But uh, What's your price point on those? Lake Grove Avenue is going to be probably around $1.2 million, And then the one on Noss Road will probably be around just on the downside of $2 million. Wow. Fantastic. So, yeah. So, you know, not cheap housing, but great housing. Another thing that happened this week is I, I got a call for a number of lots to look at in Dunthorpe. And I started driving Dunthorpe since we've got that big project in Dunthorpe. We're going to be kicking off here. We're actually submitting plans here next week for approval. We're going to rebuild our Street of Dreams home there. 
I started looking around at some other stuff in Dunthorpe. I got a call from a family that owned a big Dunthorpe estate that now they're looking to move dad out, transition, and sell off the estate. And I started to notice that here's what's happening to Dunthorpe. The density is going to start going up because you've got these massive estates there on these big pieces of property where you know they just haven't been well taken care of for a long time. But on top of that, the property taxes are horrendous. So it's almost better served there to take those big rundown houses that are going to cost a fortune to renovate and split the lots up, tear the house down and create a little more density. And ultimately, the people that own those properties are able to generate a lot more profit for themselves because they're able to create more lots. And as you and everybody else knows, building new construction in Dunthorpe, pretty easy to sell. So I have a feeling that Dunthorpe is on the density train. I think we're going to start seeing that more and more. The lots that I looked at this past weekend, they were kind of sloped lots. There was a lot of rock you have to chisel away to, to be able to do foundations and dig out. So I passed on those, but I think that's going to start happening a lot more. So uh, it might be an area that we do a lot more projects in, but I, I think Dunthorpe's kind of on the density train. At least that's what I see. So, How much depth do you see in that $2 million-ish housing market? I mean, are you seeing it demand increase, stay steady? I mean, do you see there's a lot of depth to it? I'll answer that, but for all you guys listening, that's Jeff, Jeff Arthur. I'll give him a full intro here in a second, but he's our guest. To answer your question, I think that there is quite a bit of depth, but I think it depends on where you're at. I think it's very much dependent on... Do you have an A-plus lot in an A-plus area? I think if you try and put a square peg in a round hole and you try and build a $2 million home in either questionable location or a questionable lot, it becomes more challenging. So for us, you know, our sniff test is, is it an A-plus location and is it an A-plus lot? Meaning, is it not sloped? Is it funky? Is it flag-lotted? What's going on with it? And so, you know, as long as those things apply... I think it's an easy sell. And right now, all of our higher dollar projects are in Lake Oswego and Dunthorpe. So, you know, it's hard to argue with the best schools in the nation, both in terms of Dunthorpe and Lake Oswego, but also you have those types of communities where people with money, that's where they want to be. And so I don't think it's a real big uphill battle. I think that market will slow, but we did projects back in, I think, 2011. We did a project in the West Hills, and that really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, we could sell a million dollar home there in 2011 in 10 minutes because it was a great product in a great area. And, you know, people with money, they buy what they want. They may want a little bit of a discount when the market's lower, but they still buy what they want. And so that's really, you know, what TTM focuses on in terms of creating product. We create that A-plus product for that A-plus buyer in that A-plus area. And I think there's plenty of depth for the projects we're doing. I can't speak for everybody, but, you know, as long as you meet those criteria we talked about, I think it keeps it pretty safe. So hopefully that answers your question, Jeff. But without further ado, Steve, let's jump into our interview here with Jeff since he was nice enough to join us on the show. Just for everybody listening, give you a little background. I've known Jeff for over 10 years now, probably. He did a condo conversion project. I think it was maybe 12 years ago now. And I bought one of the units from him, which I still own. It's a rental for me right down from the office here. Uh, it rents for about 1700 bucks a month, which is pretty crazy for a two-bedroom. So I've, I've happily kept it for the last 12 years, and it's got a great view of John's Landing, too. But, you know, we met there. We became friends. He's done multiple projects since then, that some of which I bought other units from him. But he's recently moved on to a lot more and bigger commercial stuff. And so that's the main reason why we brought him on here today. So, first of all, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So... These days, I guess give give us a little overview. You know, what is your main focus these days? It seems to me uh, that bigger commercial is kind of what you're focused on right now. Yeah, I've been mainly really focused the last several years on bigger commercial. Most recently, focusing on um, some ground up development projects involving office and a hotel. Two hotel projects right now. One's an adaptive reuse, and one's a ground up 
in the planning stages right now. We're in design review next month and hoping to break ground in June. So there's definitely been a lot of activity downtown. I mean, we're noticing it. I think probably one of the first times since I've been tracking it over the last 10 years that you're starting to see a lot more out-of-state institutional money come into the marketplace. And so that's affecting values and it's affecting we're, we're having a more diverse set of owners downtown than, than there were previously when it was mainly just old family offices. And so that's bringing a unique mix of architecture and, and different types of product quality. So would you say that, are you meaning like outside fund money, you know, people bringing in bigger funds or trying to put some money to work, maybe in the interim, they're holding older buildings with some tenants and then they're going to redevelop down the line to take the bigger spreads? Yep. Yep. You know, the institutional money tends to have like that seven year time frame from a fund perspective. And so they're coming in with the mind of building to sell or building to reposition. And so they'll be entering and exiting the market versus some of the a lot of the assets downtown have been held by the same families for years and years and years. And so you haven't seen a lot of change hands or people haven't felt the need to redevelop them. Yeah. And that does happen firsthand. I've seen that. Steve, you had a question. Yeah, Jeff, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. You know, I looked you up online a little bit after Tucker mentioned that you were going to join us, and I was really impressed with all that you've got going on downtown. I have to agree with you. I mean, in going downtown and and looking around, I can't remember in my lifetime seeing more cranes in the sky, which I think is an immediate indicator that there's a lot of growth going on down there. There's a lot happening, and it's consistent with what we're seeing in the residential world, which is Portland is growing up. A lot of new people are attracted to Portland, and of course, as people move here, you would expect, and rightly so, we're seeing it, that the commercial and the downtown nucleus of our metro area is also following suit. One of the things I noticed has been getting some media coverage was this multi-billion dollar project that's potentially going to dramatically change the skyline with several new skyrise of some sort. Do you know much about that project? I don't know much other than what was published. I do know the family uh, a little bit that's that owns the dirt, and I think I think that's a you know there's kind of two major things that I think will shape the skyline and shape the downtown you know ambience over the next ten years. One of which could be that Ankeny project, which is a group of I think ten to twelve buildings, multifamily and office, possibly a hotel, and I think that's more of a long term plan over several years that might be a next cycle play before the, a lot of that gets built and then you also have the james beard market which is getting closer and closer to coming to fruition which is kind of portland's answer to pike's place and so it'll be you know a market a lot of culinary attributes like i said very similar to a pike's place and it'll be a huge draw for that waterfront area downtown and i think from that will spur further development of some of the other blocks surrounding that, which are owned by a few other families, which will probably be a lot of multifamily as well as office. So where is that market exactly slated to be? I'm, I'm curious. Right underneath where the Morrison Bridge is. There's a big parking lot area by the Morrison Bridge, kind of butts Front Avenue. Yeah, it's not oh. so nice right now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not so nice right now. Yeah, I think that would be huge, Steve. What I mean, what do you think? That's a, oh, that would gosh, be a big yeah. change. No, absolutely, absolutely. The I love everything that they're doing down there, and I, I think that's that would be just a great, great addition to an already vibrant area that is just fun to be near. Yeah. So, Jeff, maybe tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges of working downtown doing these big redevelopments. I mean, it's it's hard enough for us in some of these neighborhoods you know, that are residential, but when you're dealing with downtown big buildings, construction sites, people, traffic, 
I mean, it, it's got to be challenging. Yeah, I think, I think the first challenge is, is that the city hasn't really staffed up fully ever since the downturn in 09, 010. And so you have a combination of less staff, although that's you know improving, they're hiring more, but the combination of less staff and even more demand to submit for projects has created a major bottleneck. And so where sellers of properties want quick closes and quick due diligence periods, from the developer standpoint, the time to getting through entitlements is dramatically increased. And I was talking with someone at a conference not too long ago, and they were comparing Portland to Minneapolis and the time frame and the cost of getting a project from idea to permit was about three times as expensive and twice as long here as opposed to that city. And so it was just interesting to have that in perspective. And, and so I think that's for sure one of the biggest challenges is that planning out a project, not knowing what the landscape you know, from start to finish may look like in four years by the time you're done constructing it. Yeah, it opens you up to a little bit of risk, that's for yeah. sure, which, you know, when you're talking millions and millions of dollars, that can uh, give you a little bit of heartache and uh, maybe heartburn, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You're working on the uh, project that is going to take out, to some extent, a fairly popular place in recent past anyway, the Lotus. Tell us a little bit about that. So when we originally looked at the project, we did examine some ways of how we might be able to keep the Lotus intact, in either in part or in whole, and, and build around it or over it or through it. Unfortunately, it's a building that's not in great condition. It's unreinforced masonry. It has a lot of maintenance issues, foundations, not in the best condition. So we eventually came to the conclusion that the best thing to do for the development and for the block was to, to get rid of it. Now, with that said, we do know the ownership of the restaurant group, and we have had discussions with them about coming into the project in an either a similar or different form and being part of the F&B. You know, the hotel we have planned there is 245 keys. It's 20 stories with a sizable rooftop, one that's going to be larger than the nines, and it would have a pool as well. Right. So it's slated in our minds to be the most iconic hotel in downtown. It's a, going to be a lifestyle brand. And so I think it will add an element not only to downtown, but to that area of town of vibrance and excitement and 24-hour activity. And so the owners of the current bar are very excited about what our plans are and like I said, have interest in coming back into the project in some form. We just don't, until we have the final plans, we won't have the details of how that might look. What an exciting project. What are your timelines on that? Well, we're hoping to break ground in late June, early July and, you know, be open sometime um, mid-18. Wow. Yeah, I can see why they'd want to be a part of that. I mean, that, you know, it, and it seems to me, tell me if I'm wrong here, Jeff, but it always seems like there's a big pushback in Portland here on the front edge of redevelopment. And then it happens, and everybody's like, wow, that looks great. It's more vibrant than it ever was. There's more draw than there ever was. And then everybody's happy. At least that's what the feeling I have on the residential side. Is that the, the case you've experienced on the commercial side as well? Yeah, and it's usually, unfortunately, the people in opposition are often, they have a stronger voice uh, and they're a, or a louder voice than the people that are necessarily for it. And I think that there's a balance. There's a balance between preserving some of the historic elements of a city and, and keeping it different. I mean, the Pearl District's a great example. There's buildings, there's old buildings. It's, it's nice to have a mix. But not all buildings are created equally, and not all buildings were built to withstand 
the current codes that we live under now, especially with all the threats of a large earthquake coming at some point. And so I've done a lot of adaptive reuse of older buildings and we've been able to make them nice. And there's certain ones that are just too far gone. And so I think being able to communicate that message to people and getting them to understand what's the greater good for the city. And as it stands now, the block's pretty dilapidated. It's home to a lot of homeless and drug use, and it's not a vibrant part of the city. And so to me, the overwhelming goal is to make it a vibrant part of the city, no matter what you have to do to do that. Yeah, and that brings up another point that me and Steve have talked about a lot. Our, our homeless problem is getting out of control. You know, is that something that you guys have to take into account when you're on the front edge of your due diligence and maybe planning? You know, do you think about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a citywide issue and it's getting worse and hopefully we'll get some leadership that takes kind of a frontline approach to it. We have a mayoral race coming up here in May and I'm optimistic that we're going to get some good leadership outcome from that. But yeah, I mean, all those things have to be taken care of in terms of job site safety and, you know, security and, and all that. And we have to keep the buildings as they sit now in really good shape in terms of avoiding anyone getting in them, because that is an issue of a lot of these abandoned buildings downtown is people get wind of them and the news travels fast and it can become a real problem. Yeah, I can imagine. I love how the mayor referred to it here recently as (laughs) whack-a-mole. I don't know if you heard that. That was in the news, but just how they go into one area where the homeless are and they move them out and then all of a sudden they're in another area and they move them out there and they're back to that area. It's just what opportunities are you seeing downtown? Like, is there a district or area that you, you think is really going to change or turn or, or be the next hot area that maybe isn't on people's radars? I think Chinatown continues to get better. There's a lot of slated development activity that'll be, it'll remain be seen how all the new development kind of combines with a lot of the social services that were built there in the last 10 years. I think the central east side and the east side over towards the Lloyd blocks will continue to gain steam and gain traction. There's a lot of density allowed over there, and there's a lot of traction continuing in momentum over on that side of the town. So there's still a lot of empty parcels. There's still a lot of abandoned buildings, and there's a rezone planned in the next year and a half, which could impact some of that industrial area and allow for more office use. So I think that will be kind of a big growth area, but I think more and more of downtown, I think, is going to continue to get redeveloped as well. I think, you know, the city is relatively small. I mean, you can really walk to the south end to the Pearl in, you know, in less than 35, 40 minutes. And so geographically, not much separates. I think as time goes on, less and less, there'll be less and less quadrants of bad areas. I think people are moving in and recognizing a lot of these areas that have been abandoned as, you know, right for the picking. And I think, you know, the Ankeny blocks would be just one example of that. But you're seeing the Pine Street Market, which is set to open sometime the next few months down in what was, you know, kind of a sleepy area of town at one point. And uh, there's a new hotel planned and not too far from there. So, yeah, I think downtown's going to continue to see more uh, redevelopment and then the central east side. Do you think, because there's so many tall buildings going in, do you think we're going to see some some new players and competing for the tallest? I mean, we have I, it kind of intrigues me. Like we saw the Pac West go in here recently, right there by Nordstrom's downtown as a residential commercial building. And I just kind of think to myself, I'm like, gosh, if I was on that project, why not go a few stories higher and say, hey, we're the tallest and beat out? I think if I'm not mistaken, the current tallest in order is Wells Fargo and U.S. Bank are kind of right there. I, I don't know if 
definitively it's even known which is taller. And then Coin Tower is right behind them. What's your take on that, Jeff? I think Wells Fargo is on higher ground, so it's technically taller, but the U.S. Bank is the largest number of stories. That's my understanding. But, well, one, I think that there's not a lot of zoning in downtown that allows you to go over 500 feet. And so... How uh, many stories is 500 feet? Depends how big, you know, more and more that's less and less stories because the creative office tenants want higher stories, you know, so that 10 or 12 foot office is now 14 ish. So, and it depends on, you know, how big of a, you know, entry level space and lobby you want to carve out. You know, you could roughly assume, you know, with 15 feet of floors is probably a good average to work off of. So in the high 30s. Yeah. High high 30 stories. Interesting. Do you think that could change? Well, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know, you know, we're light years behind Seattle in terms of high story buildings. I mean, they've got one slated right now for 102 stories to be the tallest building on the West Coast. Wow. It's in planning. Looks like it's going to happen. It would be a large amount of residential, which would be. Wow. Obviously, some amazing views. You know, the Columbia Tower, I think, is 80 stories. So tremendous amount of buildings that are taller than anything we have. Does that have to do a lot with fire code and like their ability to address a fire on way up in, in a building? You know, I think, I don't know why Portland, I don't know if part of it's to protect some of the views from the hills or if it's to, they just don't think very big city-ish mm-hmm. within the government. It's because it's Portlandia, Steve. Yeah. And we are Portlandia, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the better answer. <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long here, Jeff, but I think we've definitely talked about some cool stuff. That new market coming in, I think that's going to be great for the uh, waterfront area down there because it, it could really use a shot in the arm and, and not the type that the homeless people bring generally. You know, <laughs> So uh, I, I'm really excited to see what that, what that brings, and I think that's really going to revitalize that area and make it more, much more desirable for people to be down there and hang out down there on a regular basis. Yeah, the waterfront's such an amenity. It should be an amenity, not a an eyesore, right? Or, or, or a crime area. I mean, the water waterfront's the most prized possession in almost any city of domestically or in the world for that matter. So yeah, they're not making any more waterfront real estate. That's uh, I think that's the famous quote, right? So. Yep. Yep. Well, Steve, before we uh, let Jeff go, do you have any uh, last questions for him or any last comments? I do have one last question. I had, I had it written down. I just want South waterfront. I mean, what's your take on that? Is it as developed as it's going to be? I mean, is it, has it really hit the top of its curve? And obviously, the South Waterfront was built out at probably historically one of the worst times in the economy. I mean, going into the, the housing downturn, and it turned out to be a big bust then, but it's now recovered quite a bit. What's your take on the South Waterfront? I think the South Waterfront, it's happening and it's going to continue to happen. I think it's finally, it came out at a bad time. They had a real struggle getting some retailers in there, so it became a hard sell for the for the multifamily and condominium, but you're getting more bodies coming in. You know, the night cancer center is fully funded. That'll start construction. The Zydells have planned a big master plan community in their block, and that'll happen over time. And I think between all those elements and the fact that it's down on the water and it's, you know, the most easily accessible downtown core from Lake Oswego, Dunthorpe, West Lynn, I think it'll take some years to fully kind of play out, but I think it, it will eventually become a pretty vibrant spot Mm -hmm. it does need more of it needs more amenities i will say that it doesn't have a grocer which has always been the negative right if i'm going to buy a condo for x number of dollars a foot i want the walkability that i get in the pearl and they haven't had that you know so once the grocer finally gets in once some better restaurants get in once there's some more 
amenities. And I think, you know, just the sheer number of bodies that will come with what OHSU is going to build and the night cancer facility and all that, it'll happen, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I agree with that. It just came out at the wrong time, like you touched on. And so the momentum just kind of stalled. But I mean, there's some of the, in my opinion, some of the nicest looking buildings in the city. So I know a client who in the downturn, 08, 09, went into the John Ross and was buying condos in the 100s. And he's now comping them out and talking about selling them in the 400s. I mean, it's just amazing the opportunity that some people capitalized on in that area because of when it came out and now how it's recovered so nicely. Yep. Yeah, it was the bomb hole. <laughs> so your client had a, a good enough foresight to put some, some cash to work. So good for him. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think Lehman Brothers, and we know how that went for them, I think they were invested in at least a, a couple of those buildings. When you talk about institutional money. I think um, they were, yeah. I think yeah. they were the, the debt and maybe some of the equity. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, Jeff, thanks for uh, joining us. I think we talked about a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, as always, we appreciate your perspective on, you know, Portland, what's to come in the commercial market. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Nice to meet you, Steve. We'll have to meet in person sometime, grab a drink or something. That sounds wonderful. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. We'll have to have you on the show again soon. Okay. Thanks, Tucker. Yeah, no problem. All right, guys, this is episode 27. Steve, I, and Jeff are signing off. We'll see you guys next week with another episode. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.